Hey, it's Garbage Brain University. I'm Drew Toothpaste. I'm Nally D. Today we're talking about numbers. Talk about them. Fireside chat about numbers. Hello, FDR here. <laughs> Natalie. Yeah. What are numbers? A number is a mathematical object used to count, measure, and label. When you're talking about something like as basic as a number, like the definition of it is always very weird. It's like you're talking to an alien or something. You kind of have to do an end run around it because it's so hard to describe. Right. I don't think I could have come up with that definition if you asked me to describe a number, a a mathematical object. Because it's a noun, isn't it? Well... Or is it a verb? It's not a verb. Well, you can... (laughs) If you're talking about a number, you could refer to a digit as a two. I mean, if you say I've got two cups... So Two like is cup, an adjective. Cup, yeah. It's funny. If you think about it, all problems are word problems. <laughs> a number is just a type of word. Right. The original OG examples of numbers, the classics. One, two, three, six, yeah, four. Yeah, taking it back a little. Okay. I always said before we had a kid, I said, I what I want to do is I want to raise a kid and I want to do an experiment. And I'll preface this by saying, no, obviously we never did this. <laughs> but I, I always thought it would be funny to have a kid and raise them and say, who's that beautiful kid? Who's one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> And then just go through, how many forks do you have? One, two, three, five. And then just wait, (laughs) just wait. She comes home from kindergarten the first day and says, what the fuck is four? (laughs) But I mean, obviously we never did it. I just think conceptually. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people feel like they were raised and Somebody forgot to tell them something. I felt this way all the time as a kid. Because when you're a kid, you don't understand things. Mm -hmm. And I felt this way all the time as a kid that there were entire concepts that people just forgot to tell me about. And the reality is that you can't tell, you can't just like download data into a six-year-old. Right, right. And then they understand the breadth of human knowledge. Mm. It's just not how it worked. But I was was always pissed. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember learning about square roots, and I was like, this is not even addition, multiplication, subtraction, division. I know all these, but the square roots. And I remember somebody was coming into the school, and they taught us about they taught us about square roots. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you can do it, but that's too much. <laughs> it just seems unnecessary. It, it is unnecessary, in my opinion. I've never had to take the square root of anything. It's never come up. I mean, aside from like when you were working at a, a chemical plant, like it's never come up. I'm like very anti numbers. I don't like them. You're anti numbers. I hate them. I don't like them. What is it about numbers you don't like? It's just like I don't like dealing with them. Wing it. We'll figure it out. So once you have to enumerate something, and then it becomes a mechanical yeah. computation. Right. I don't care much for the mechanical stuff. Once you quantify something, it like takes all the mystery out of it, and then it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like just being happy with the pot, like with the pile and be like, man, that's a nice pile. I like it. You're like, oh, I got 600 of them. Last time I got 649, right? <laughs> now, I mean, I, I know that you accept that there are times you have to quantify things. I, I mean, just because I like something or don't like something doesn't mean I get to opt out of that aspect of society. Right, that's something no. that I always like. It's like an argument that's like an internet argument. And like you will say something and then people's reply will be like based on this on this idea that you have a choice. If you have any kind of ideas about like liberalism or like socialism, people are like, well, you sure do uh, do capitalism even though you're such a socialist. Like, what? <laughs> I live in a capitalist society. I can't like n- not live in it just because I don't like it. Unless that's, I move, and I just, that's too expensive. <laughs> to where would we move that is a successful socialist economy society? <laughs> I'm curious. Shout out in the Discord. 
what socialist utopia would you move to? And failing, <laughs> failing that, if you've got a group of gullible people that needs a charismatic leader, shout out in the Discord. We want to know if you're not in the Discord, $5, capitalism, baby. Patreon.com slash Garbage Brain University. So sound off in the Discord. Who is the better charismatic leader? Me or Drew? Who would inspire you to do dumb shit like easier? Who is more? Who is more? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Persuasive. Within a year of meeting you, I know that you revealed to me your plan to create a cult of personality. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. <laughs> I could talk big. Look, I just want, I want to call dibs because if you're restarting society and you're having a people's revolution, there's a very few number of slots in the party. If you don't get to the top of the staircase first, you're either secret police or you're a farmer. <laughs> I'm no fucking cop and I can grow plants, but I don't want to have to grow plants. I think you have more of a look to run a cult. Like you, you look have a look to you. Like all you need is like a, a toga, and you're ready to go. I need some more beatific garments than a shirt with a vampire on it, <laughs> and those like camo track pants I always wear. <laughs> it's just not. It doesn't inspire like a yoga kind of devotion. Right. You need like a monk's. You need something yeah. monkish. Other cult leaders take your money and try to do sex stuff to you we're not gonna do any of that no for an additional five dollars a month <laughs> we'll send you like very genuine good vibes and we'll like bless your situation <laughs> numbers can be represented with number words so that is like when you say five yeah or you spell it out but if you write a five, like the thing that is a straight line and a down line and a curvy do, that's called a numeral. That's a cinco. Uh-huh. Because there's only so many symbols that people can memorize, we use digits to represent larger numbers than the... Right, and I didn't think about that, but it could be that there would be a different symbol for each number. That would be so difficult. Right. So that's why we do digits is because we only need to remember... Ten of them, baby. Ten of them. Plus the dot. <laughs> plus the and then there's the comma and the dollar sign the percent it's about 14 of them right but those aren't numbers a percent sign isn't a number or is it it is kind of oh it is no it's, it is because it symbolizes it, over 100 doesn't it so because it means whatever you're doing is over 100 right mm -hmm. so percent kind of is a number right but decimal point is not a number is it no no, it's a placeholder. What was the other one you said? Dollar sign is, that just shows that it's that's American a, currency. That's a unit, and the comma is just a just a placeholder. So you use numbers to count stuff, to measure stuff, to label stuff, like a phone number. You can use it to make things be in order, like top 10. Or you can use it for, like, code numbers, like... NDC code, which is like the National Drug Code, which is like a series of numbers that it's all different pills, right? Oh, yeah. ICD-10, Dewey Decimal System, cop codes, 10-4. Right. Social Security number. I got a, a voicemail. Not Yeah, it was a voicemail the other day that they were canceling my Social Security number and that I needed to call them and give them money. And no. I was going to be going to federal court and my, my Social Security number was canceled. You would be free. I know. Like, oh, don't threaten me. It's a good time. <laughs> right. An invisible bird in the system. Right. I've never heard of anyone having their social security number canceled. So I'm not sure, like, what, what crime I committed. I think they don't. I don't even think they take it away when you're dead because it's uh, a social security is nine digits, mm -hmm. which means you have space for uh, just shy of a billion numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So we are going to crank through all of them. I mean, assuming we use the whole namespace of social security numbers, which is a nine-digit number, we're going to crank through all of them in about 200 years. Right. right. That's kind of the Y2K38 for uh, social security. You heard about you heard about 2038, right? No. You heard about Y2K. I did hear about Y2K. Yeah. Y2K is, I remember when that was coming up and I was like, that's some dumb shit. And everybody's like, you need to save rice. You need to live in the basement. I was like, <laughs> I will do no such thing. 
I was kind of going through it at the time, whatever. I remember I was just not even having a good day on New Year's Eve on 1999. And I remember I went to bed about 10 o'clock. I was like, fuck this. Maybe I'll wake up and stuff will be on fire. But I strongly doubt it. And I heard some fireworks go off and it kind of woke me up and I woke up just a little bit and I was like, yeah, we'll see. (laughs) I got fucking smashed on New Year's Eve that year. My friend's parents owned a restaurant and we um, went in the back door of the restaurant and she got a big box of liquor from behind the bar. And it was just like she just took the box like without because she was sneaking it out. Right. Mm -hmm. So she didn't look at what it was. And it was all, like, the most grossest shit in the world. It was, like, blue Caraco and shit like that. Like, liquors. It was all, like, blue liqueurs oh. and coconut-flavored shit. And we just, like, drank it all. Oh, that's awful. It was the most grossest. We were so fucking drunk. And I was the whole time I was like, ah, maybe we're going to die. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> My mouth stained blue. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't fucking matter. Nothing fucking matters. There's Y2K, and then, of course, that was what it was. But then there's there's a problem. There's a computer problem coming up called uh, uh, Y2K38. I'm probably mangling it. It's probably not <laughs> exactly that. I don't pay too much it's attention. It's Y2K2. The idea is that there's a certain... Di- there's a number that's used to represent the number of seconds since... January 1st, 1970 at midnight. And this is the standard time code used on computers. When you have a file date, it only goes down to the second, right? Mm -hmm. Because unless you're doing something really intensive, you don't care if you save your your Photoshop file at 925.01 or 925.02. It goes down to the second, but they're going to run out of numbers in 2038, which is approaching now. Uh We're coming up to it, so... We've got that to deal with. And then the social security program is definitely going to last for another 200 years. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm planning on like working until I die, probably. <laughs> Listen, as soon as I turn 65, I think I've got about a cool $80 a month I can whip out of that sucker. And that's all mine, baby. <laughs> I can't wait. That's that government money. I definitely didn't give it to them to hold on to for 40 years. (laughs) Uh, You use numbers to do calculations with numbers like the famous addition and the hard to forget subtraction, (laughs) as well as multiplication, division, and exponentiation. And when you do that, that's called doing arithmetic. The other thing of numbers is that people will attribute significance to them. Like 13 is like an unlucky number and seven is like a lucky number. So people are like, they have feelings about numbers, even though they're just like representations of counting you know that's something i've never really gotten to is having feelings about numbers i get it i know that there are folks who have different brain patterns right people like different stuff people do different things for different reasons i never thought much about numbers themselves it was just always the numbers are how much of it is there Mm -hmm. and you just you're working with what's there you're not working with the number The number is just a tool for you to know where to cut the wood. Yeah. Don't you have a favorite number, though? A favorite number? Yeah. Should I? (laughs) I I have favorite colors. I have songs I like. I have... Uh, I have favorite pieces of art. I have a favorite house in my neighborhood that's not my house. It's just a house that looks like a library. I like to walk past it and think about checking out a book there. (laughs) I have a lot of things that I have favorites, but I don't feel emotionally about numbers. I feel I feel neutral. I don't I don't dislike numbers. You dislike them. I I feel totally neutral. I have a favorite numbers. number though. What's your favorite number? You know what my favorite number is. At three? Yes, bitch. <laughs> one, two, three, man. I mean, every that's time a... it's every time. One, two, three. <laughs> it's a good it's a good number, nice I suppose. Yeah. If you got to do it once, you might as well do it three times. Because if you do you, it twice, you're definitely going to do it three times. I think Nona once told me when she was real little, she told me her favorite number was like 1,024 or something. And I was like, That's a good what? one too, though. I, I was like, well, what? It, That's a good one. When are you going <laughs> to? 
What are you going to do with that? I could tell you if it's a good number or a bad number. So it's just like instant. Like you visualize, do you see the digits of the number in your head or do you just have a, a number feeling? I have a number feeling. And if it is above a certain, if it's above a certain number, I don't have any mental picture of it at all. And if it's below a certain number, it's like an arrangement of, it's like an arrangement of dots that is like in a certain kind of shape. Really? Yeah. What does a five look like to you? A square with one in the middle. It's like That's one, two, three, four with one yeah, in the middle. Yeah, like a die. Uh-huh. Is five a good number? I don't like it that much, huh? <laughs> so what, okay. I, what? Like, I like eight and four. So what's eight? What's eight? It's two fours next to each other. And what is a four? <laughs> it's a square. <laughs> so what about 15? 15 is that shape I told you about the four. It's like a four with one in the middle. Stacked one, two, three. It's stacked vertically. Uh-huh. Okay, what's 16? <laughs> I want to know. I'm just the little. You know the shit they give you on the SAT to tell if you're allowed to go to college? Right. <laughs> I'm just, well, you didn't, I'm just mean, doing that. What's the. I have, I have like. Just tell me one last one. Tell me what the 16 is. 16 is four fours on top of each other. Four. Okay. Okay. And the four is just a square, right? Uh huh. Anytime it's a square, it's usually going to be in my head looking like a square. Okay. Because that makes it better for me when I'm adding stuff in my head. Okay. I can pretty reliably visualize numbers. One thing I heard a while ago is that it's very hard to directly visualize anything over 100. Uh-huh. And it's very easy, for example, to say, take 10 golf balls. Right. You can visualize a line of 10 golf balls. Now, visualize 100 golf balls, you would visualize a 10 by 10 square of golf balls. Uh And if I said visualize 1,000 golf balls, you would visualize a cube. Right. 10 cubed, right? 10 times 10 times 10, Uh 10 to the third power. You would visualize that, but you could not directly visualize 1,000 of an object, whereas if I were to say uh, uh, 16 toy cars to you, you could visualize it easily. Right. Because it's a smaller number, and you might stack them on top of each other. Apparently. <laughs> well, if I was doing anything, if I was doing a, a, something that was like a hundred, or something that was a multiple of a hundred, or a multiple of twenty-five, then I will do the math problem to the twenty-five, and then multiply it however many times the twenty-five would go into the bigger number. Because <laughs> I could, because I could do it with with the smaller number in my head easier. That's actually kind of what they teach kids to do in Common Core math. They teach them instead of you know writing down if you were to multiply uh, eighty five times fourteen, right? We would draw it out in a little grid and we'd cross over, uh-huh. right? And we'd write them and we'd stack it up and add it up at the bottom. And that's one way of of computing. You take the number and you pull it apart into components of 80 plus 5 and 10 plus 4. And they do it more deliberately in Common Core. It takes up more paper, so it seems a little silly. But I think it may actually make it easier to understand. Right. That's what you're doing. Yeah, I just try to do it so I don't have to do that much math. Like, whatever I have to do to make it go faster. For Yeah. Who invented numbers? I don't, I don't know. That's it, hard to know, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So the first, the first instance of anything number-like, right, was from ancient, ancient times because they found bones that had tally marks cut into them. And so they think that people were keeping tally marks on bones in order to keep track of time, how many animals they had. They think that that was people's first dipping their toes into doing math back in those days, right? Tallying has no place values and it has like no kind of abstraction to it. And so you cannot really do advanced math if you're just tallying stuff up. Right. You could you could copy the number of lines from a bunch of tallies into one tally. Uh-huh. And that would be a sort of primitive form of addition, but really it'd be more like counting on your fingers. Right. That's the main setback of the tally system. I would have stayed with the tally system personally, because what else do you need to know? How many? It seems to me that maybe that's something that changed when society developed to the point where they had excess of something, and then they had to quantify how much excess they had of something in order to trade. Uh-huh. See, they, what they should have done just shared with people back then. You have more than you need, so let everyone else have some too. And I'll be the charismatic caveman. <laughs> 
Well, I'm, there would be no issue if we just started doing that in the beginning. You know? That would have been the culture that we developed. If you have a household of people, if you have a household amount of people, let's say you have between like two and six people, two, seven, eight, ten people. Fifteen. No, not all those threes and fives stacked up. No. <laughs> let's say you have a household worth of people. I think it is not only feasible, but I think it's relatively common. To a great extent, people share their resources and people work for a common good. Now, I mean, I, I'm not saying that everybody is good and everybody is egalitarian. I'm just saying that if you have a small assemblage of people, you look at each other as individuals. Right. And so you have not depersonalized your society. I think you might have a hundred people in a little clearing and you put all your animals together and you take care of your stuff and you kind of do everything communally and all this. I think it's possible to have shared resources in, in the true sense mm -hmm. where nobody is getting left out. And if somebody's sick, everybody cares for them, etc. Yeah. You just get to a point, you can't have a million people and not have depersonalized relationships. Right. It's just the way the brain works. I think it's tied to the fact that I can visualize 10 people. I can visualize, I can go through and try to write everybody down and think of everybody I know. And if I if I had them all over at my house in, in the backyard and in the front yard, maybe spilling out into the street a little bit, right? I would know them and I would see them and, I, and they would be individuals to me. Mm -hmm. But if everybody in the neighborhood came and everybody in the neighborhood was right there in the yard and the street, I wouldn't know everybody even if I knew very many of them. And so you depersonalize and then you're like, there's some fucking guy on the fence. Then I'm like, fucking guy, get off my fence. Where I wouldn't say that to my friend. Right. The human brain just has a limit of how many discrete objects it can handle before it just starts referring to them as fuckers. Right. <laughs> Me, it's like eight, all these fuckers. <laughs> The brain is so limited and we don't see it because when when you say the word humanity, we think of a, a lady giving a bowl of gruel to an orphan and we think about a rocket ship going up and it makes the, it's like, Right. Like it makes the NASA sound. <laughs> right, uh -huh. We see a golf ball rolling into a hole and a golfer doing a fist pump. It's just we <laughs> think about all of these, like the billowing flag, and it plays the last few notes of the Star Spangled Banner. We, we think of all these ideas when we think of humanity. But what humanity really is, is when somebody gets into a car, you think they're the car and the car's the asshole. Right. <laughs> That's our limit. Our right. limit is... Object permanence to the point where if I can see you through the windshield, I still think you're the car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this fucker. <laughs> that's one thing that, you know, that's one thing that I have, like, really cut down on it, it, during the pandemic is road rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> That used to be, I forgot about that. That used to be like a pretty, that used to be like a daily thing for me. I would fucking yell at people on the road all the time. I haven't yelled like that. In a, maybe that's why I'm so fucking chill now. Like I found like a new level of zen during the pandemic. I'm like fucking nothing matters, man. Except for you just need to chill the fuck out. Like if you need to work on chilling out, that's all that fucking matters. It's literally the only thing. I don't find myself, I think you're not an aggressive driver. You're a very defensive driver. I and I think you're a safe driver. I don't think I've ever seen you run into anything. No. You bumped into some lady's car and she called the pigs. She called the pigs and then and then I offered to cut her a check and she said no because she was going to ring my insurance company out and then the scuff on her car was too small for my insurance company to even fucking give her the time of day. <laughs> and so she, I was like, that dumb bitch, she could have got a check. She could have got a check. I would have written her one too. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna give you like a couple hundred dollars to buff that shit out and send you on your way, bitch. But right, because you, because <laughs> you figure if the if it goes through your insurance company, they'll raise your rates. Yeah, I don't think you've ever had an accident or anything on there either. No, and not only, not only did my insurance company not even call her back 
But then my rates went down right after that. <laughs> I remember because I got, I, she she left and she's like, I'm calling your insurance company. And then my insurance company called me and I told them what happened. And they're like, all right. And then I got a letter from the insurance company and it said that my rates were lowered. And I was like, because I got it and I was like, oh shit, this is going to be like, you dumb bitch. We had to pay like a million dollars for that little bump that looked looked like minor, but was actually really serious and was expensive. And now you're going to get fucking fucked. But no, they're like, actually, save yourself $12, bitch. <laughs> you know what I think happened? They assumed you never drove at all. <laughs> and so you proved that you do actually drive your car. And they're like, all right, turn her down because she might actually start bringing in some money here. <laughs> <laughs> She's out there driving now. Yeah. I mean, I don't drive very much, but when I do, I'm very safe. If everyone drove like me, there would never be any car accidents. So um, the first known number system with place value was in Mesopotamia and they used base 60. Mm-hmm. That's with the arches and dots and stuff, right? Yeah. And that was in 3400 BC. And the earliest base 10 was 3100 BC. So took them 300 years to figure out that base 10 was probably better. <laughs> well, it's just like the standard units of measurement. You know, we inherited this bullshit from England. Talking about gallons and miles. Yeah. This shit sucks ass. Then they switched over on us and we're stuck. You know who uses the fucking standard units of measure? It's us in Myanmar. <laughs> Myanmar's cool. I'm going to go ahead and say we're not in good company as far as geopolitically how we're aligned with the world regarding the metric system. Right. Well, I mean, again, this wouldn't be an issue if we just didn't worry about numbers. <laughs> <laughs> the numbers of it don't matter. If you don't have numbers, you don't have to have a system, like a metric system. When Obama took office, I thought, now here's a guy we could bully into switching us over to metric. Yeah. Just because it's an appeal to that man's qualities, I thought we could appeal to his qualities. And we do not use the metric system in America currently. Right. We're never going to use it now. Well, there was a there was a brief time period where people started to think that we were going to switch any day now. And they built an interstate. I think it's I-19. It's a stretch of interstate that goes between Tucson, Arizona and Nogales, Mexico. And it is the only interstate in America that's signed with metric units of measure. Right. I think it's also reasonable to say, you know, those of us who have to work with standard units of measure probably do just have stronger math muscles. Okay, I'm in Paris. Measure I'd like to travel 100 kilometers. How many meters is that? Well, <laughs> mon frere, <laughs> it's 100,000 meters. That's that's easy, Peter, right? Right, right. <laughs> now, I'm in America. Uh-huh. 100 kilometers is what, 62 miles? Uh-huh. How many yards, because the yard's about a meter, how many yards are in 62 miles? There's three feet it's, in the yard. It's easy. <laughs> There's 1,760 yards in a mile, so you multiply 1,760 times 62. <laughs> we put ourselves through a lot, and that's just building up. It's like cognitive behavioral therapy or going to the gym. We just build up our math muscles, and that's... That's how we make it here in this country, baby. Just like doing math like a fucking bitch all over town with my yeah. math muscles. Yeah, exactly. It would be very easy if I had a pen and paper in about three minutes, I could scratch that out and tell you what it is. And meanwhile, you would just stack the cubes up in your mind. <laughs> and then I'd figure out how big the cubes are. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good method. You know what they you know what they say now? They say that's a good tech. Yeah, math tech. <laughs> uh, Natalie's using cube tech. Uh, so uh, Egyptians invented the first ciphered numeral system. So that was the first time they made like the glyph that meant this number. Okay. So they had that was the first time they invented 
different symbols. Now, wasn't Zero, wasn't that a late addition to the game? Yes. Zeros did not come around until 628. What did they do for 3,600 years? Uh, if they if they were writing out, let's say they're using base ten and they're using and they're writing out the concept of one hundred. Right. What did they use instead of zero? Roman numeral. Oh. <laughs> okay. There's no zero. There's no zeros in Roman numerals. Yeah. And uh, so they started using zero in India. That's where they invented it. This guy named Brahmagupta was the first guy who wrote about using zero and wrote about different operations in which you can use zero as a number and why it was like something you should think about using. And he pushed it out there and it's still, we still use zero. Uh It's very useful, in fact. Right. They didn't start using zero in Europe until... The 14th century. (laughs) Were they just using Roman Uh numerals up until then? I can't imagine how you would have done any kind of computations using them. It wouldn't do them that much. Roman numerals is almost like a linguistic way of describing a number. They're like 500 and 10 less than 50. Yeah, I Roman numerals are always pretty hard for me. I can I can do them up to like twenty something, and then I'm just like, this is too much to think about to try to write a number out. Like seventy five, I'm not gonna do that. One hundred forty six, no, thank you. But the good news is that they're not really very useful, and they used them. I mean, I I think they still use them for Super Bowl, but. It's real funny because, you know, you see Roman numerals in the beginning of a movie and it's like MCMLXII, whatever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it's like Super Bowl XVII or whatever. Then they got to Super Bowl 50 and it's like, you got Super Bowl L, good job. <laughs> Super Bowl L. Yeah, there you go, buddy. Right. <laughs> Thought you were being cool with Super Bowl 30 Triple X. That was a good look. Super Bowl XX4699 XX. That's a fucking sick name for a bowl game. <laughs> if that wasn't for the current situation, I might have to cop tickets to Super Bowl XX4619I. I, I. <laughs> So the ancient Greeks, they didn't use zero, but they had, there was like documents where they were discussing like, what about the idea of there being nothing. And so they kind of had like an idea of zero as a concept and it was like a philosophical thing, but they did not use zero. And they had these philosophical arguments discussing zero and and they carried on into medieval period when people would like read ancient greek texts and stuff and do philosophy and shit and so they would still like being but what about nothing and that led to the existence of zero in europe and then they're uh hypothesizing about like a vacuum oh so the idea of zero then led to other concepts Mm -hmm. that related to the natural world Mm -hmm. okay in china they invented negative numbers oh they had uh charts that they would use to find areas of figures and they had like markers that they would use to denote negative coefficients in the third century in greece they started referencing the idea of a negative number when they would get an answer to a problem and it was a negative number they would refer to it as an absurd result the idea of an absurd result carried on like through time as recently as the 18th century if you got negative results you would just ignore them and just say that they were meaningless rather than consider yeah that if you were dealing in abstract quantities, that the the answer might lie to the left of the <laughs> y-axis on your imaginary gridded plane. Right, right. right. Uh, yeah, so that's that. But you know, all this talk about my cubes and my shapes. Yeah. And all this talk about negative numbers and how they're not real, right? I need to refresh my brain. I need to, like, dumb this conversation down a little bit. I need to do a little bit of brain relaxation relax some of those wrinkles out right yeah smooth your brain baby and we're gonna do that number style right with numerology baby oh my god (laughs) numerology is the belief that there's a divine or mystical relationship between a number 
and one or more coinciding events. Mm-hmm. And it is associated with like paranormal ideas or like astrology or divination or whatever. I I remember the first time I heard anything about numerology. I was a kid and I remember somebody had written out Ronald Wilson Reagan equals 666. And I was like, yeah, there is six letters in each of his names. Bet other people are probably 666. I don't (laughs) think it means anything, bro. (laughs) No, that would... See, the part part of me that read about numerology, I'm like, oh, Ronald Reagan wouldn't be 666. 666 is 18, which would be 9. So Ronald Reagan would be a 9. <laughs> so this is important. So numerology seeks to translate words, which are arbitrary. You, for example, def- divining anything about you or me based on our names even – we didn't pick our names. Uh-huh. If our names were inherent to us, if we chose our names, we would at least be reflecting some quality of our own mind onto ourselves and externalizing it. Right. If we were to self-describe and self-name, then that would at least be informed. But when you name a baby, the baby hasn't done anything yet. But if all you need is for your name to be translated into a single number, couldn't... The cosmos act through your parents and make them receive a communication, giving them the idea to name you the the name that will make you equal for. <laughs> I really like that. I didn't know your arms were that long. That's good. <laughs> you know, in the in the sixties, everybody was named Lisa. That was a very popular uh-huh. name in the seventies. Uh-huh. People were named Jennifer and Heather. Uh-huh. In the in the 2000s, girls were named Madison and, and uh, Hannah. Yeah. And so I think if there were these qualities that were reflecting on people, then their names would more accurately... Their names would be more diverse. I mean, I think it is true, and I've postulated before that everybody who's named Tyler is a little asshole. Right. And so I think there's some truth, but I think that has more to do with the fact that if you're named Tyler, and obviously it's not true, there's good Tylers. I just haven't met one. It's just a matter of statistics. I'll meet one. Hopefully he doesn't get mad at me. He's already mad at you. You would have to, you would be raised by somebody who is willing to look down at a tiny baby that they have created or their partner has created and just see life, the beginning of life, the alpha, as in the alpha and omega, not that they're a strong redditor. (laughs) And you look down at this tiny baby, beacon of light, infinite possibility. Who could they be? Who would they be? What will they say? What will they do? And you look into the baby's eyes and you say, your name's Tyler. <laughs> I think that's why they turn out like that. Right. But I don't think it has anything to do with numerology. I think reducing... So numerology, anyway, like what you said, it's not 666, it's 18, and then you add you add the digits and you get nine. You keep adding the digits until you get to a single digit. Uh-huh. So you reduce everything to 10 digits, or actually to nine, because there's nothing you add up that is above zero that results in zero. Yeah. And so one through nine, and then these single digits represent particular quantities. Pythagoras was the first guy who did that numerology stuff. He thought that mathematical concepts were more practical, and so... Anything that he could translate over to numbers, he thought that that was, made it more valid. So he thought that numbers were uh, the most rational way to divine meaning from anything. Right. And so by assigning numerical values to everything, then that gave it, gave you an additional variable on, on which you could assess whatever it was. I bet Pythagoras was the first guy to go around and rank women out of 10. (laughs) Well, St. Augustine of Hippo um, did numerology, and he said that 
Numbers are the universal language offered by the deity to humans as confirmation of the truth. That sounds like he may have been part of a cult. (laughs) I got to get into saying stuff like that. That sounds so, it's total nonsense, but it sounds so smart. (laughs) Sounds cool. Augustine of Hippo also thought that everything had a numerical relationship. And you had to find the number for stuff and investigate the secrets of the relationship between the thing and the numbers and that that was like a gift from god like in order to give you the tools to like learn from the world and then in 325 there was the first council of nicaea where they made all that shit illegal Divination, uh, numerology, astrology, uh, magical stuff. They said all of that stuff was bad now. And so you are not allowed to do it. That's when they were like, we're going to get this Christian bullshit off the ground. Yeah, they wanted to they wanted to get all the fringe stuff out of it. So it seemed more real. So people stopped doing it. But there's still people who use numerology in reference to judeo-christian religions there's still elements of it there's numerology in the bible and special meanings attributed to certain numbers like three and seven also the number eight and 888 is apparently the jesus number because eight is considered a lucky number in asia Mm -hmm. and uh triple eights is the jesus number Really? Because uh-huh. 888 is like a big gambling site. Not mm-hmm. allowed to go on there. Illegal in Ohio. <laughs> there was a guy in... I, I put this down. I put this fact down because I knew we were going to talk about how I how the numbers look to me. The shape of the five actually has a, has a name. And it's called the quincunx. The numeral five depicted as four dots with one dot in the middle. So does that have like a... Uh, ancient Christian meaning? Okay, so there was a book in 1658 called The Garden of Cyrus, and it is about the author drawing parallels between the number five and the quincunx pattern and how that shows up all the time, like naturally in art and in nature and in like plants and stuff like that. So there's all kinds of systems of numerology. There's alphabetical which they have numbers that are associated to each letter. And that's like the Kabbalah stuff. There's one called the Abjad, which is an Arabic, which is an alphabetical system of numerology. There's uh, Latin systems, which are like the ones that we are usually more used to. And the one that most people are familiar with is the Pythagorean one, which all of the letters have numbers associated with it. But it is like one through nine and then it goes A, B, C, D. So it's like columns of letters, right? Mm-hmm. And so A and M and S will be worth one, right? So, sure. so So each number has more than one letter that has that value to it. If you want to use something, if you want to go through and think about yourself or think about concepts and do a little bit of number crunching just for fun... And then, you know, you refer to something and it tells you to look at a certain aspect of it. And then you think of an aspect of your problem or you think of an aspect of a person and you contemplate it. I think anything that's used as a tool of contemplation can help you. But I don't I don't think that there's any chance that numerology itself could possibly mean anything. Because you said you, you do one through nine, then you throw all the letters down, right? Mm-hmm. So in... Central Europe, Slovenia, Serbia, North Macedonia, right? Mm -hmm. There are these languages and they have diacriticals on the letters. So you have a C and then you have a C with a little dippy-doo. I don't know what they're called and I don't speak the language. But the orthography of the language is that some of these languages in the region will have a C with a dippy over it and then others will just spell it out as CH. It's the same letter. Right. Mm -hmm. But having it having it on a chart, it would change how the numerology worked. And some of these languages, like I know Russian has 33 letters. Some of these Slavic languages have 40 odd letters. Mm -hmm. I think Slovenian has like 43 or 45 letters. And expressing these concepts in related languages changes the number of letters that you have in them. It seems clear that it is 
in itself meaningless. Well, here's the thing. Here, okay, so first off, I'm going to preface this by saying that I, I'm not into numerology at all. I don't think it's real. I don't think it means anything. But I think that where where it fails is that idea that I keep I always bring up where I think that a lot of times language adds a layer to things that makes it more hard to understand it. I don't think numerology is real because if I did numerology on on something, that particular thing would have 50 bazillion different names in all the different languages. Yeah. And so you could, depending on what you called it, it would change the number. If you're applying a numer a, a number to the to like some kind of fundamental element of like the concept of that thing that transcended language, then then maybe it would mean something. But if we're attaching it to language, language is is too changeable. And it's just the same thing with astrology. I don't believe in astrology. First off, because I can look at a list of people with the same birthday as me, and I, I see no common traits between me and those people. Second off, with procession, with the way that stars move and stuff, how is it accurate? Like when they invented when they invented astrology, the way that the, that the stars are in the sky now is different. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I I think there's an idea, and this crops up in machine learning mm -hmm. and neural networks. The idea is you overfit. Instead of using a data set, what you do is you ask this network to generate something based on this data set. And what it does is it basically duplicates the data set. Right. It's called overfitting. That's not the exact definition, but it, that's roughly the concept of it. And so I think you can take the idea of language and we agree that language has meaning or at least that we interpret meaning from language and we can look at numbers and say, by God, that's a five. Numbers have precision to them. They are describing an exact quantity, even though that concept in itself is abstract. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's very easy to take anything with numbers and assume that anything you're doing with numbers, as long as you carry out the addition correctly, that whatever you yield will be something that is true and correct. Right, right. You could take a concept of a bird and you could express a bird as an emergent growth from a combination of, you know, its genetic code and, and the way that it's fed and the things it's been eating. And you could express this as a sequence of essentially numbers. Mm -hmm. You could express it as discrete points of data. And then you could analyze that data. Numerology, however, takes a bird, says B-I-R-D, okay, B is two. <laughs> Adds it all up, and they're like, okay, a bird is three, uh -huh. which is like a triangle, bro. Right. But then, like, someone the next street over is doing numerology on a bird, but he calls it a pajaro. And so, who's right? Yeah. You can't and, say. Yeah, it's like doing very precise calculations on what is essentially noise. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's always something when you start getting into numerology and astrology. Again, all this, if you're using it to think about yourself or you're using it to think about your life or you you are using it in a way that's contemplative and you open your mind rather than focus on the result of the number you get, right. then I think I think it's great. It's like turning on the TV to static and putting headphones on and, you know, smoking enough weed that you think you hear words. <laughs> like, we've all done it. <laughs> yeah. So what did you learn today about numbers? You learned so much about them. What's your favorite number? You pick one out yet? I haven't had time to think. I'll get back to you if I do pick out a favorite number. I'm glad somebody created zero. I'm glad we finally accepted that negative numbers are something that's useful when we're calculating things abstractly. <laughs> you know, I don't have a favorite number, but it makes you think, you know, if it took us that long to come up with zero and it took us until maybe the 19th century to say, hey, if I compute this and I end up with negative two, this is not a, a meaningless result. This has a mathematical <laughs> meaning, right? 
And I think about concepts such as I, which is the square root of negative one, which is not a real number, and they literally call it imaginary number. It's useful mathematically. What are we ignoring now? What do yes. we do where we are doing something now and we're just leaving out an entire concept, whether it's mathematically, whether it's whether it has to do with physics or, or whether it has to do with our own specific biology. Right. What are we leaving out? When we get into a car, why do we think the other car is a fucker? <laughs> we are missing so many things. And I think just by going back into the past and saying, look, it took us this long. Right, right. We don't really have anything to be proud of in terms of how long it takes us to figure shit out. No, we are absolutely, you know, you've heard of Dunning-Kruger, which is the idea that uh, it, it was a hypothesis by a couple of couple people. Couple, Dunning and Kruger. They came up with this hypothesis, which is that if essentially you, you don't know how dumb you are, mm -hmm. if you have very little knowledge, it's impossible for you to know what knowledge you are lacking. Upon obtaining a certain amount of knowledge, it opens your eyes and you realize how much you don't know. Right. And I think we maybe haven't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, I don't think we have. We're going to hit a tipping point and it's going to be like, oh, we need to start looking into a whole bunch of other stuff. We thought when we found out that a bowling ball and a tennis ball dropped at the same speed, we thought we were done. <laughs> So whether you're dropping a bowling ball or a tennis ball, you're going to find some nice soft ground. Where, Natalie? Harlem Township, Ohio. They've got a dam. They've got a horse. They've got a damn horse. It's Harlem Township. And when you're shipping fruit, Natalie. Hazel Technology. That's the place to go if your fruit is in a race to become not rotten. <laughs> it's the longest race. That's right. They keep your produce fresh when you mail it from state to state. I wonder if you could just like keep all your your fruit in a box in your house with the Hazel Technologies and just keep your fruit forever. Give it a shot. Listen, patreon.com slash garbagebrainuniversity. If you're not a subscriber yet, you'll get 80 paid episodes plus access to our secret Discord. Natalie. Sexy Discord. Did anybody suggest this topic to us today? No, I invented it. Well, Natalie may have invented numbers, but if you've got an invention, come to hashtag topic suggestions in our Discord. Let us know if it's a good idea or we have enough time. We'll try it. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Good night. I love you. Bye.